The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. So glad that you're all tuning in. Glad to have our guests today because we're going to be talking about something that's kind of new. It's a new concept to some of us. For others, you may have heard of this concept many times before, but it's called Extended Producer Responsibility. And it's actually kind of turning our waste system on its ear a little bit. We're used to a system where, you know, everybody puts their waste articles either in the trash, the recycling, the composting. If you're uh, in a community that has all those options. But extended producer responsibility begins to look at what would happen if uh, at the end of a consumer's life cycle with a product, the producer takes responsibility for the end-of-life disposal or uh, recycling or renewal of that product. And we've got with us today somebody who's very well-versed with many, many years' experience in dealing with these types of issues. Her name is Heidi Sanborn, and she's the Executive Director of the California Product Stewardship Council. If you'd like to take a look at their website, and it is great. It's got a lot of information. While we're talking with Heidi, don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. But open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.cal, that's C-A-L, P as in product, S as in stewardship, C as in council.org, calpsc.org. Well, Heidi, welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. Well, it's my pleasure. I, I want to try and make this discussion about extended producer responsibility as accessible and digestible for everyday people as we possibly can. So let's start by having you describe to us what extended producer responsibility means and how it differs from our current municipal solid waste system that we're all so used to. Well, it's actually much simpler than it might seem. Um, it's simply... Um extending the responsibility of a product's life cycle to the producer so that, in fact, they can't just sell it and walk away, but they are part of the cradle-to-cradle system that we're all looking for. So they would be responsible in the manufacturing to design a product that will come back to them. And how it gets recycled and how it is managed is designed and operated by those who actually make the product. So now, I know a lot of people... Who are, I'm sorry to interrupt, but a lot of people who are not in uh, our industry may not understand this concept of cradle to cradle. Could you go back and maybe give us a little bit more of a definition about what that means? Just so, you know, everyday citizens who are hearing that for the first time understand what you mean by that. Absolutely. Well, as you know, the earth is a big circle and everything in the system is a feedstock. A waste from one is, is the feedstock to the next system. It's a closed loop system. 
And that's exactly what we need to do with our industrial wastes. All our organic wastes get recycled, and they're composted, and they have a life cycle, and they just go round and round and round. And that's what we need to do with the rest of our products. Um, and currently what we have is a linear one-way system where a manufacturer makes a product, sells it to a retailer, it goes to the consumer, and then a completely different system kicks in, which is the local governments and the waste haulers collecting it and trying to hopefully find a home for it. But unfortunately, because of the way many of these products are designed, they really can't be cost-effectively recovered. So then we end up with waste, and then we have incinerators and landfills and what we call, you know, it's really a grave system. But that's not sustainable. So what we need to go to is, as William McDonough labeled it, cradle to cradle, where the producers who design the products actually design the entire system for them to be sustainably managed forever. There is a recovery mechanism that is sustainably funded to manage them. And when you think of, you know, designers have to think of the full life cycle when they make a product, they may make it out of a completely different material because many of the materials that we're seeing are not recyclable or recoverable. Right. Uh, we're seeing products that have, can't be repaired anymore. And so they're not durable. And this is a problem because it's creating an increase in how much waste or things that end up in landfills and incinerators that we are creating. And then we lose all those beautiful materials that the earth provided for the next generation of products that we're going to need. Mm-hmm. Now, I spend a lot of time on the soccer field. I'm a soccer mom. I'm also mm-hmm. a hockey mom, a football mom. And if the subject of solid waste management ever comes up uh, with myself and my friends, generally speaking, they feel pretty good about our system because we recycle, we compost, um, and they're pretty satisfied with how our community handles this system. What is inherently wrong with that assumption? What, how could we increase their level of understanding of what is possible so that maybe that's not a satisfying solution for an everyday citizen? That, oh, well, we recycle, we compost, we're good to go. What, well, what could we do? With a growing population and growing waste generation, um, we really have an unsustainable situation because I bet most of the people on that soccer field do not want to live next to a landfill. True. And they don't want to live next to an incinerator. And if one of those two facilities, or even a composting facility, some people don't like the smell, or even a recycling facility, we are having problems citing every kind of solid waste facility that we have. And that is not sustainable. If we don't like those end-of-life options, then we really need to rethink how we make products. So um, what we need to think about is the cost as well. If landfills leak, or if there is an emission from an incinerator, they go back to who put the waste in there. And then the taxpayers end up paying the bill. So there are long-term liabilities to not closing the loop and not being careful about what we put on the market and how it can be remanufactured into something else. It has impacts. Um, and the more that we generate, and it's great that everybody's recycling bottles and cans and so forth, but again, most of our packaging is still not getting recycled. Even mm-hmm. things that are easy to recycle, like cardboard, still have a long way to go. Whereas under um, a producer responsibility system, for example, the one I've seen in Belgium, their recycling rate is well over 90% now for all packaging sold. That's what? 
Much That's much amazing. Much. That is amazing. And, and what's different about their population or their system than what we have in America? What what makes it so successful there? In Seventeen. It took an entire generation. So I don't want it to sound like this just happened overnight. It did not. But they started with producers being responsible for packaging about 17 years ago. And what that did was it forced the manufacturers of the packaging that was sold into the country to rethink what they were selling as packaging because they would have to pay for whatever they put on the market. And what they did was they formed a nonprofit organization, so all 5,800 manufacturers of the packaging pay into that FOST Plus system, is what it's called, is the nonprofit's name. And then they designed the entire collection system for the packaging. They use the existing waste hauling community. Um, they use drop uh, igloos. They put those glass for glass. They sort the glass by color, and they do it in every neighborhood because that contaminates paper when it's commingled with paper. Yeah. That's the only thing they separated um, and have a separate collection system for. But the rest is all done at the curb. And it's very simple, very easy, uses the same infrastructure. Uh, but over time, they've done such a good job of PR and making it easy and simple to comply with, um, and by setting incentives so that the manufacturers actually will pay less to put packaging on the market that is easily compostable or easily recyclable. For those Mm -hmm. materials that are not, they pay much, much more into the program. So Mm -hmm. over time, it has basically really cut back on the non-recyclable or hard-to-manage packaging types. And Mm -hmm. that is a very much a free market approach where the, the market is driving the changes, not necessarily uh, the government mandate. The, the way producer responsibility works and kind of the beauty of it and its simplicity is it tells the manufacturers, you shall be responsible for this and you shall achieve a certain recycling rate, but we're not going to tell you how to do it. We're going to let your innovation work in the system. And in Belgium, they started sending market signals to the producers. If you sell this packaging and we can't recycle it easily, you're going to pay a big price. And then Mm -hmm. over time, that kind of worked itself out. So let's go back to the soccer moms of the world and tell us how the consumer experience might change. I mean, you talked about everything being managed at the curb. You know, right now, the consumer experience is, well, if you really have a strong opinion about how your your community waste management system has, well, you can do some public input at a city council meeting uh, before they assign a contract, uh, you know, every so many years to a waste hauling company. And then after the contract is signed, you might have a few choices, you know, regarding what bin size you choose. But that's about it. And then you choose how you're going to participate in the curbside program. H- how would that weekly waste pickup system change or would it? I mean, what would the consumer experience be, you know, on, on our end? How would we how would we manage that uh, with an extended producer responsibility system? Well, it would depend on the product type and it would depend on how the producers of that product decide to do their system. So, for example... Let's take household batteries. Everybody has household batteries. Um, some local governments have curbside battery collection. In fact, I helped design one in, in San Mateo County, and they really like it. Others um, are bringing their batteries back to some retailers that have chosen to have collection. Other battery companies are allowing mail back of their batteries and prepaying the, the postage. 
there's lots of ways to get the material back. If the producer of the batteries decided the most cost-effective way for them to achieve a certain recycling rate would be to fund all those existing types of programs, maybe it wouldn't look very different to you. But if they mm-hmm. decided the only way we're going to get this back cost-effectively and achieve a high recycling rate is to make very big signage and put it all in retail, then maybe it wouldn't be supported at the curb anymore. But my suspicion would be if there's an existing program that's really working and is cost-effective, they would at least pay the, um, the going rate per pound to that jurisdiction that's used to that collection option. Um, so it can, so it, can, it can present itself in a variety of ways. Yeah, because I can, I can kind of feel what may be coming. If, if the alternative is either throw everything in your trash can or run your batteries here and your cell phone there and your whatever to another location and I've got to run all over town to get rid of waste, that's not going to go over well with consumers, you know, and that's probably not going to result in a great collection rate. So, you know, how, how do you avoid consumer inconvenience? Uh, because you know that producers are just going to say, <laughs> hey, it's not our fault. We set up a system and consumers aren't using it. How do you mitigate that? That's a great question. And part of the way that you make, you ensure that a good producer responsibility works, um, a program works, is to ensure that you have good government oversight. Um, if the government sets a high recycling rate, they simply cannot meet it unless it's convenient enough, because we know that the, I, I say it's an 80-20 rule. Most people really want to do the right thing, and when mm-hmm. you present them with a good program, you communicate it clearly, and it's convenient, they'll use it. By and large, you can get very good recycling rates with that kind of program. Mm-hmm. If it's not convenient or it's not clearly communicated, then you won't. So, for right. example, what we currently have, we know that this is true because the local governments don't have um, – you know, great access to the consumer like a retailer does. Mm-hmm. Um, and the manufacturers, which have this in- enormous chain, they can sell to any rural area anywhere in the, in the state. But to try and get that back is a totally different program. We actually have one location in many jurisdictions. It's a permanent mm-hmm. facility. It's only open a s- certain days of the week, certain hours. It's yeah. not on your way to anything. You're not going there anyway. Yeah. So our recovery rates for household hazardous waste, for example, we're doing good if we're at 10%. And this means we're throwing about 90% of these toxic products, the ones that are the most dangerous, Uh into the trash or over the side of the road we see in illegal dumping. So we're not doing this right now. And we need to do better. And that is why we are promoting this approach, especially for the hazardous products. Well, and quite frankly, you know, nobody wants to see a situation where even if you're like 100% the best citizen in the world and you are willing to run your waste around all these different, you know, points of, of entry into the extended, you know, producer responsibility chain, that's a carbon footprint unless you're driving a, you know, an electric vehicle that we don't want to see happen. So. Exactly. Yeah, and that's well, we what's happening it. now because nobody's nobody's normally going to a hazardous waste facility, but they right. are normally going to the grocery store, and they are yep. going to shop for new clothes, and they are going to go shop for their stuff at Home Depot. So when Home Depot puts out a fluorescent uh, lamp collection bin and a battery bin, people appreciate it. They're going there to buy new ones anyway. Mm-hmm. But true, so again, true. We, yeah, we'll just we'll leave it up to the producers. But if you set a high recycling rate, they can't achieve it without a convenient um, consumer program. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some other uh, issues dealing with extended producer responsibility that will impact both consumers and businesses that would be involved. So don't go away for it, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you happen to just be joining us, our guest today is Heidi Sanborn, and she is the Executive Director of the California Product Stewardship Council. And our subject today is Extended Producer Responsibility. And her website, if you want to check it out, open a new tab in your web browser, is www.cal. PSC.org. And they have this really easy graphic that kind of explains the principles of extended producer responsibility. Very easy. Uh, the, the circle goes like this. It, it, the manufacturers manufacture the product. Then it goes to the retailers and they sell the product to consumers. And then consumers send it right back to the manufacturers. And that's kind of the idea in a very simplistic form of what extended producer responsibility is all about. However, trying to put that kind of a system in place is very different than the current waste management system that we have in our communities. You know, Heidi, people are really accustomed to the idea that waste hauling fees are a normal utility cost. Of course, everybody grumbles about what the utility cost is for waste hauling fees. We always want it to be lower. But is there an economic reason for everyday people to support extended producer responsibility? Would we save money 
or basically would the price of waste hauling just sort of be shifted to the products that we buy in order to cover the costs that producers bear in taking those products back? Kind of what is the what's the economic model there? Well, thank you for asking that question because it's critically important. <clears throat> the costs when you have the manufacturers in charge of the system, it's it's put back into a competition system which drives mm-hmm. costs down. So for example with paint our estimated cost per gallon to manage paint by the, the household hazardous waste programs is about seven to eight dollars a gallon. That's very wow. high. That is really high. Now, the producer responsibility program for paint just started this uh, October 19th here in California. And you can now return your paint to paint stores like Sherman Williams and Dunn Edwards. Uh, Kelly Moore, uh, up and down the state. In fact, you can go to paintcare.org and look for a location near you to bring your, your oil and stains and, out, and uh, latex paint. The program is being funded through a fee on the paint. It will be visible. You can see it. And it's about, a, I think it was 75 cents a gallon. Oh, okay. wow. Now, which is more affordable? And, uh, and so you've got a system that's more convenient, Retail collection, you don't have to drive to a permanent facility that's only open on Saturdays or have one-day events where cars are lined up and all that. You actually can go into a store and just drop it off. You don't have to write your name down. You don't have to tell them who you are. You just go in and drop it off, and it's paid for. But you will pay for that when you buy the product. Now, will that change the, the design of the product? Maybe. Paint is pretty standard. We've already got most of the toxins out, the mercury. You know, there's no longer lead in paint um, Mm -hmm. and so forth. But we do have options now for convenient paint collection because of that paint stewardship program where we've created well over 100 jobs. We've got new recycling facilities for the paint. It's it's creating, um, it's shifting how the money is flowing because now the money is coming from the consumer back, but it's instead of going to government, like in some programs, it's going straight to the manufacturers. The mm-hmm. government oversees that and requires audited financials every year. So all of us can see what's happening with that fee. Well, I've noticed something else with the paint industry too, and that is... Um, different sizes of the cans you can buy so that you don't end up, like if you just need to do a little job, you can buy a smaller can so that the, you actually maybe won't even have any waste. Um, so that, that's something new. It, it's new and it's very exciting. In fact, the paint industry has been in a dialogue with local governments and state governments across the country for years now, over 10 years, trying to figure out, and I actually facilitated that with the Product Stewardship Institute for three years, Mm-hmm. And we did studies on how to get people to buy the right amount of paint and stop over-purchasing because that was a huge part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And one of the solutions was more of these sample sizes. So people did not have to buy a half a gallon to go home and just see if they liked it. They yeah. now have sample sizes. So it's a great addition to the program to try and get people to buy the right amount. Mm-hmm. Now, since this is Go Green Radio, I mean, of course, we're talking about waste and we want to reduce waste, but what are some of the other environmental reasons for implementing extended producer responsibility principles? Well, there's a lot of environmental reasons. For example, it depends on the product type, what environmental impacts you might have that are beneficial. So for carpet, although it's not hazardous, it's very bulky and it takes up 3 to 4% of our landfill space. Most of carpet is made from nylon, which is basically oil. 
It can be recycled forever. And we've been throwing it in landfills, and it doesn't break down. It's not going anywhere, and we've, we've thrown away a valuable resource with a huge greenhouse gas footprint. So why wouldn't we want to recycle it? So Speaker uh, Perez passed a bill in 2010 to create a stewardship program for carpet. That's now been in place for a year with a fee of a five cents per yard has been put on that carpet, and now carpet is getting recycled. And a lot of it's pulled up by the uh, contractors who bring it back to the store, and the store is now backhauling that down to recyclers in L.A., and, and a new one just opened um, up here in Northern California. So, again, we're creating jobs. We're closing the loop. We're, we're saving a lot of greenhouse gases. We're not having to import new uh, virgin oil to make the carpet. Um, this is sustainable. Not what now, we've been doing. we have a lot of people listening who are not from California. Um, in fact, I would say the majority of our listenership is not located in California. If they wonder, does my state do this? Could my state do this? Where can they find out information uh, to determine that? They can go to the Product Stewardship Institute website. It's one of the national organizations that we partner with. They have a whole list of all the laws that have passed um, in support of producer responsibility for each state, and they list it by product. So you can go there and learn more about what your state is doing. We've also um, helped form product stewardship councils in other states like Texas, um, Pennsylvania, uh, Vermont. There's forming one in Minnesota. So there's more, uh, and we actually were only the second stewardship council. The Northwest Stewardship Council was first, and that was Oregon and Washington. So there's organizations across the country growing and promoting product stewardship in their state. And there are laws, like Maine, I think, has um, seven laws on producer mm-hmm. responsibility. It's all on the map on the Product Stewardship Institute website. Okay. Well, here's, you know, of course the, the hope is that if, if uh, producers take their products back and they realize, oh, gee, what are we going to do with this? That they'll say, you know what, maybe we can design this in a more green fashion. We can actually make these products more sustainable. Can you give us some examples of when that's actually happened? Yes, actually, um, we have the most experience with electronics. And, uh, in fact, in this country, I think there's 24 states now that have some form of a producer responsibility system for electronics. Now, electronics, as we know, have a lot of metals in them that are actually very valuable. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, it's becoming very clear that if we do not recover them back from the public or what we call urban mining, we're not going to have enough of some of these metals to make new products in the future. And some of these metals are in areas of the world, like in Africa, and we call conflict metals. There's a lot of wars and fighting going on around these metals. So it's a very volatile source, but the public is not volatile. And recycling programs like uh, EPR programs really do um, provide a sustainable way to get these metals back for the, for the industry. So they can become, uh, it's a more ready source. It's not dangerous. It's not as expensive. They don't have to send people into mines and pay for the liability. When Hewlett-Packard started, I think it was Hewlett-Packard, uh, started taking back their um, electronics voluntarily, we were told that they, they realized very quickly that a big cost of the recycling for the computer was the cost of the battery. To remove the battery took three different screws to be done <laughs> by a manual you know, labor, and that labor is expensive. You can't crush the computer with the battery in it because you could spark a fire. So they have to get them out. Well, the easy solution to that from a design perspective 
is design a push-out battery where you simply push it and it just pops out. Mm-hmm. So a simple design change can have huge end-of-life cost impacts. But when the producers have externalized all those costs to the public sector uh, and to figure it out at the back end, then they have no idea what these costs are. As soon as they start taking them back, they start seeing, oh, that's expensive. And then they start working on design changes that will get those costs down. In the electronics industry, have you begun to see, you know, I know for such a long time, and this was reported on by 2020 and 60 Minutes, you know, that a lot of our electronic waste was going to China and actually being disassembled by little kids. And it was, you know, just a terrible situation, very unhealthy, uh, very toxic, very sad. And, and, you know, we didn't feel good about that. Have you begun to see uh, a sense, like you said, some of these metals are, they, we don't have an infinite supply. They're not easy to get to necessarily. Are you beginning to see in the electronics industry a sense that, hey, let's, let, you know, if we take this back, we've, we've got our supply. We've got, um, those precious metals that we need right here at home. They never have to leave our shores. This is the most valuable way to do it, the most cost effective way to do it. Are you seeing anything like that happening? Absolutely. When I was in, um, I was speaking at the uh, Waste Electronic Equipment um, Forum, the WE Forum, which is the, the European organization that manages e-waste. When I was there speaking in uh, Switzerland back in 2010, the big conversation at that point was this terrible problem of sending out electronics to countries who could not properly manage them and protect the public. Mm-hmm. So they were very disturbed by it. They were working on plugging those holes up. Um, and in our country, uh, in fact, one of the speakers was the leader of BAN, the Basal Action Network. And yeah. they have taken great um, photos of what was happening. Uh, Jim Puket, who's the leader there and who I saw speak, is a wonderful person. They've got uh, e-steward certification now for electronics. So if you want to buy an electronic and you want to make sure it's not getting exported to countries who cannot manage it, look for that e-steward certification. Mm-hmm. Well, it just seems to make sense to me that, you know, these raw materials that we need, we keep, you know, in the U.S. Why send why send them overseas then have to buy them back again that just doesn't make any sense well we've got to take a quick commercial break but when we come back we're going to talk about some specific examples of local governments who didn't wait for federal mandates or regulations to take epr into their own hands so don't go away folks there's much more go green radio right after this Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you're all with us today. If you haven't had a chance to check out our guest's website, please do that. Don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com, but open a new tab in your web browser and check out www.calpsc. That's for California Product Stewardship Council.org, okay? Calpsc.org. It is loaded with great information about this concept of extended producer responsibility. And I know that for a lot of our listeners who are in local government, whether they're city councils, county board of supervisors, they may be thinking, boy, this would be great. You know, the cost of waste hauling is exorbitant. It's always something that's really tough for our government to manage. And this idea of extended producer responsibility really appeals to me. But do we have to wait for some sort of federal or, or state level uh, regulations or legislation? And the answer is no. In fact... Where Heidi and I both live, uh, here in Northern California, there's a county government. It's actually my county. Yes, I live in a great county, Alameda County in Northern California. And they just passed a groundbreaking ordinance for a pharmaceutical take-back program. And Heidi, I, I know you were intimately involved with this. Give us the inside scoop on how that ordinance originated and what it took to actually see that legislation come to fruition. Well, I actually didn't get involved in the program until late in the game. The county had, uh, for four years, been getting a lot of uh, push from the public to have safe collection for medication because they were seeing an increase in seniors overdosing. They were, you know, keeping too much in their house of things they didn't need. They were becoming targets of crime because uh, a lot of people who abuse drugs apparently abuse the painkillers, which they know seniors have. Um, We were starting to see um, teenagers accessing drugs that were being left around the house. So, And then people, of course, flushing them. So the county had a lot of public uh, per- pressure to do something. And they started with a local program of one-day events and realized very quickly that was not efficient, it was not cost-effective, um, wasn't convenient. So then they started putting in drop boxes. They look like mailboxes, but they're actually for pharmaceuticals. They put them in sheriff's offices for the controlled substances. They put them in pharmacies for the non-controlled. 
And then they got all these volunteers. Well, they now have this patchwork of 28 different collection locations, but they can't sustain the funding. Mm-hmm. And it's all with volunteers, and it's not, you know, it's not harmonized. And they realized it's not even convenient enough. We need about 60, probably, to, to cover the county. So I was brought in at the very end when they realized we've got to do something different, and they decided on their own. We can't wait for the state, and we can't wait for the federal government to get their act together and actually do something on this because it's, they've been waiting for years. So they decided they would try it on their own. And British Columbia and in Canada, there's a wonderful pharmaceutical stewardship organization that is funded by many of the same companies that operate here in the U.S. and in California. And they know how to do this. They've been doing this for 15 years. And in fact, um, one of my suggestions when I was invited to, to help them with this process um, in April was to bring down the, main, the, the executive director of that program to explain firsthand at a stakeholder meeting how they do it. And so the industry and everyone was told this is how we do it in Canada. And they didn't raise the price of pharmaceuticals, not one penny. It's a very cost-effective program, costing about $700 per location. But they use only pharmacies as the way to get those meds back because they're accessible to those who are handicapped. And most people do have to go to a pharmacy to get new drugs, so it is convenient. Mm -hmm. And they now have 96% of their pharmacies collecting these drugs uh, voluntarily. They're not mandated. So it's exciting. And... um, that model was really what Alameda decided to use as the basis for their ordinance. So if we couldn't get the state or the federal government to do something, Alameda said, look, we know how to do this. We've got a model. Let's go with that. And they decided to go with an ordinance uh, that's local, saying if you sell drugs into the county, you have to participate in a stewardship take-back program. Now, this is a unique. Every product is unique. This one is unique in that we're not going to recycle these drugs, right? We're going to do something with them to destroy them to make sure they do not get into the wrong hands or get into the water. Mm-hmm. But um, So it's not like electronics where we're trying to recycle the metals. Right. Um, but it is a safety issue. It's a public health issue. It's a water quality issue. So it's not just a garbage issue. In fact, no, I don't think anybody thinks it's really a garbage issue because they're so small. It's not really mm-hmm. a volume problem at all. Right. So there's other reasons to do this, but this this percolated up from the drug uh, prevention, drug abuse prevention community, and from law enforcement, and and other parts of the community. But we were just brought in to provide technical support because we understood the the policy approach. So Alameda chose to be the first in the country to adopt an ordinance making the manufacturers of pharmaceuticals responsible for this program. Now, How did the pharmaceutical industry react to that? Not well. And, in <laughs> fact, um, unfortunately, yeah. we didn't see a lot of companies represented at the, at the stakeholder meetings. There were four between April and July when they adopted it, in addition to the ones that had been held before that. But the representatives of two major associations that represent the companies were there, BayBio and the California Healthcare Institute, and they were pretty clear that they thought this was a very bad idea for a, a myriad of reasons, uh, none of which the supervisors of Alameda County thought were really reasonable. Mm-hmm. So they had a 5-0 vote in support of the ordinance. So the question now is, you know, is Alameda going to get sued for this um, by pharma? 
and pharma is the national association um, of pharmaceutical companies. We certainly hope not. It's a very cost-effective program to run. We have great models on how to do it. Um, it's really, it's not going to raise the price of pharmaceuticals. They make a lot of money. They spend a lot of money on lobbying, and we just really hope that, that everybody comes together and figures out that the public really wants this, and we can all work together to solve the problem. Well, and it really is one of those, you know, one of many products that, you know, consumers need. I mean, this is, you know, for their health, but at the end of their life cycle, there's really nothing that an individual can do to properly dispose of these you know, products of these pharmaceuticals, flushing them and putting them in your trash, they're, they're both dangerous to public health. We don't want these drugs ending up in, you know, our, our waste systems or in our water streams. So, um, you know, th- there really does need to be a solution there. And it only makes sense that those who are producing the products would be helpful. Um I'm curious to know about another industry, and that's the waste hauling industry. You know, it's a multi-billion dollar business in America. Where are waste hauling companies on this extended producer responsibility uh, concept? I mean, are they on board? Are they, you know, of course they're interested because it could change their business model. Um, what's their typical reaction to extended producer responsibility? Well, they've been talking about this for about 10 years. Uh, the Solid Waste Association of North America is, um, you know, a- active internationally. They're very well aware that the U.S. is is behind the rest of the world when it comes to uh, the industrialized world when it comes to implementing producer responsibility systems. And so they have had a policy for many years in support of the concept. Um, waste haulers like Republic Services waste management, recology, they've all signed our pledge and our partners and donors to our nonprofit. And that's because they understand that we all have to work together and our organization is focusing primarily on the hazardous products because those are dangerous to the people that work in our industry. Um, needles, for example, we're having a terrible problem with needle sticks because people are throwing unprotected needles into the trash. In California, that is illegal. Um, and there's a reason for it. We are seeing a huge spike in needle sticks by our workers, which is very, very costly, not to mention pure torture for the people who have been stuck because they don't know what they could have been infected with. Right. Um, they have to wait a long time to find out. So these are the things that the haulers all want to have dealt with because, again, throwing mercury-containing fluorescent lamps in the trash. Well, when you're doing that by the millions, while each one does not have high levels of mercury, compounded by many, many, many lamps, and they break in the truck, how much mercury are those workers being exposed to? Uh, Hmm. If the landfill leaks, how much mercury could get into the water? Does it volatize when it breaks and get into the air and come down as rain? Hmm. You know, there's a lot of issues with health and safety from the hazardous materials that are ending up in the trash. So they really do... Uh, specifically and, and primarily, from what I've heard, is the support is for the, the hazardous stuff. Now, it gets to be questionable when you start talking about packaging because they have, a, at least in California and I know across the country, maybe less so, but they've developed a pretty good infrastructure for packaging on, on most levels. At mm-hmm. least it's available to be used. It may not, we may not be getting the recovery rates we want, but, you know, and people aren't sorting maybe, but we have a pretty good system and that worries them about if the producers are put in charge, would they get 
uh, enough, would they be over-leveraged by the producers? Would they not make enough profit? Um, would they be able to use the existing material recovery facility they invested millions in? So mm-hmm. those are questions that they have to have asked and answered before they can be clear on where their position is. But So it really does depend on the product. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes perfect sense. You know, um, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to have some practical tips for individuals, uh, consumers, and for local government officials who may be listening saying, how do I get involved in this? So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. You know, we've been talking about extended producer responsibility. And I know that, generally speaking, when it comes to handling municipal solid waste, a lot of the responsibility falls on local government. And yet, um, some local government officials and their staffs who may be listening may be thinking, boy, this is a big topic. How can our small government entity have an impact on companies who are either national companies or multinational companies and the products that they sell and that we have to deal with in our local jurisdiction. And I'm wondering, Heidi, you know, are organizations like the U.S. Conference of Mayors and the League of Cities um, and maybe your organization, um, where can a local government official or their staff find resources to help them take charge of uh, extended producer responsibility principles in their own local government uh, arena. Well, thanks for asking that. Um, what they can do is actually go to our website or the Product Stewardship Institute's website, but there are principles of producer responsibility that we have adopted nationally that they can sign on to and endorse. And many local governments, and I have a model resolution and staff report available if people would like to email me, I'd be happy to send it to them. But we have many. Give us your email before we move on. (laughs) Go ahead and do that. H e i d i. 
at C-A-L-P-S-C dot O-R-G. Okay. And I'm happy to send you the model staff report, the model resolution. Um, if you want to consider an ordinance for a certain product, we'd be happy to send you the link to what um, Alameda has done as a framework. But we have 131 jurisdictions in California that have adopted these resolutions, and they say multiple things, some of which includes asking the manufacturers to share in the responsibility to do true source reduction and design products for a cost-effective recovery. It also gives um, authority to their staff to write letters quickly when legislation comes so they can quickly turn around and provide that kind of input. It also um, sends the signal to the, the League of Cities, the Association of Counties, and, you know, at the national level, those organizations and the U.S. Conference of Mayors that they support it. But I can tell you from the top down, I've spoken um, to the U.S. Conference of Mayors um, and worked with our mayor here in Sacramento, who actually introduced that resolution that they've adopted in support, and um, uh, and in West Sacramento. And then we had uh, the I spoke to the National League of Cities, along with Scott Cassell from the Product Stewardship Institute. They've adopted a resolution in support. Um, so there's lots going on, at the and lots of support for communities who wish to. Start sending the signal, hey, we don't want all this waste anymore. We don't want to deal with it all at the back end alone. We can't afford it. We need to think holistically. We need to work together. And I have always said, you can't close the loop on the product until we close the loop on the communication for how that product moves through the system, which means that the back end of the system, which is now the waste haulers, the cities, the the elected officials, have to be talking to the people who manufacture products in order to have a system that's working for a closed loop. Mm-hmm. But if we're not talking, and let's say the designers, for example, we found out, I spoke to a na- national packaging uh, group, and I had put up a slide that I found on the Internet of a Cheerios box that had been designed to have wiring in it that would light up when you would go down the aisle. Now, this adds incredible complexity to the recovery because now you've got metal in the paper. Oh, gosh. And now we have this with singing cards. People don't know that these button batteries have mercury up to a a federal level. So you've got mercury-containing batteries in cards that you're giving to kids. And, and, And then when they recycle the card, it's contaminating the paper stream. So we have to think about the closed-loop systems to make sure that we're not exposing our recovery teams to hazards and that we're making sure that all of this is recoverable safely. Um, because everybody, nobody wants to live next to a landfill. That's, That's the right. bottom line. What about everyday people? Okay, let's say, you know, wherever you live, this is just something that really rings true to you. And as an everyday citizen, you want to get involved. What can people do to get involved and to help push for these types of principles to be adopted in their local city? Well, they can go to our website. They can donate to organizations like mine, to the Product Stewardship Institute, to the Product Policy Institute. They can support on our homepage. We have the new principles of extended producer responsibility. It's right on the homepage. You can endorse those. You can get organizations that you support to endorse them. You can uh, start talking about this. You can write letters to the editor. You can take the products that you own and say, wait a minute, why is my electronic toothbrush designed so I cannot get the battery out? 
Why is it mm-hmm. not recyclable? I have actually sent my products back to the presidents of companies and said, I will not buy your product again until you design it to be easily recyclable and take it back. And when they get enough consumers saying this, they will actually do something. For example, we just helped um, some kids in Marin County said they do not like that they use these plastic markers that Crayola and some other companies put out. They, apparently, the average child throws away 260-some-odd of these in their life. Mm-hmm. And they thought that was wasteful. They asked what we could do to help. I said, start a petition, talk to the companies, get some public pressure on them. Well, they got on petition.org and had 70,000 people sign that petition in a matter of weeks. And guess what happened? What? Ticonderoga Pens, which is a competitor of Crayola, came out and said, we are now starting a take-back program. If, you're, <laughs> if you collect seven pounds or more, we will pay for the shipping. You can go online and get it. And they have now put the pressure on Crayola to step up. That's consumer action. Wow. It's, it's very successful. And when we've done that with um, Brita Water Filters. We helped a woman in Oakland do this. Um, and actually now you can go to Whole Foods and take back your Brita Water Filters and, and recycle them just like they could in Europe long ago. But initially when we approached them, they said, no, we will not. It's just use the local program. What do you say, Heidi, to large corporations who say, you know what, you guys, you know, your effect is minimal. We're going to wait for federal legislation or regulations before we start worrying about extended producer responsibility. What do you say? I say that's a dangerous position. And the reason is that the consumers do not want all this waste. They don't want to pay for it. They don't like it. They don't feel good about it. And there's ways to save money So for the companies. So for your consumers, for your sales, get ahead of this. Because mm-hmm. if it's mandated, you will not have control of the system. And I urged this when I was speaking at the, the forum in, in Europe, that um, in order to have harmonized rules, which because companies do not, they all sell into the U.S. or North America, they don't want every state to have a different rule. And even mm-hmm. worse, they don't want every city and county to have a different rule. But in order to get harmony, they're going to have to lead. Mm-hmm. We can follow a company that's leading, but when we're kicking and dragging them all the way, it's going to end up that we're not going to have national legislation. We may not even get state legislation. It's going to come city by county. And in this country, we can do that. In other well, countries, and you know what's can. beautiful, too? I'm starting to read, and I saw some of this on your website, too, that it's not just governments, local governments and individual citizens that are concerned about this. It's shareholders. Even shareholders are beginning to pressure companies to get on board with this. So it's coming from every direction. I thank you for being with us, Heidi, and thank you for your good good work uh, with the California Product Stewardship Council. I wish you the best. Folks, we've got more Go Green Radio, same time, same place next week, so make sure you join us. And until then, have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.